Welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host as always, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our Principle of Hospitality is here to disrupt the current perceptions of what the hospitality industry can achieve in today's ever-evolving and challenging environment. So that's why we're so proud to partner with Chef's Hat, the largest family-owned and operated hospitality supplier in Australia on this season of Poe. Now, Market Lane Coffee is a boutique coffee roastery and retailer born and based in Melbourne. They source beans from some of the best growers around the world, looking for superior coffees that are distinct and memorable and that can stand up on their own without being blended. Opening their doors in 2009 and continuing to roast in small batches, they are one of the most stable Melbourne must-experience brands for locals and tourists alike. In fact, they're a very important part of me feeling comfortable in Melbourne when I first arrived over six years ago, hence their focus on quality coffee and experience. So it's a pleasure to sit down with Fleur Stud, the director of Market Lane Coffee. Hey Fleur, how are you? Hey, good. Thank you for having me. Uh, absolute pleasure. Um, and I kind of um, I've been excited the last the last couple of weeks that I've um, that I've interviewed. You know, obviously yourself today, um, Jackie a couple of weeks ago, um, which which our people here the the one before this podcast uh, from Earl Canteen. Um, a couple of the brands that really excited me when I first moved to Melbourne, made me feel that Melbourne was a place to call home, you know, six or seven years ago. Um, so it's really, really great to have you on the show um, and learn about how Market Lane sort of started. But before that, I really want to really want to understand like how you got started in the industry and how, how sort of Market Lane came to be. Yeah, sure. So um, I'll try and make it not too long-winded. <laughs> um, but um, I guess... Um, going way back, I grew up in a house um, where food was celebrated and um, um, my dad worked in the food industry um, in specialty cheese. Um, and so food was always a big part of um, um, our family get-togethers um, and um, most of our travels as a family, we would be visiting dairies, um, mm-hmm. hunting down little bakeries um, and um, different artisan producers um, and tasting tasting their food. So I guess I've always had a, a big appreciation for food. Mm. Um, but coffee for a long time for me was just a beverage that I drank to stay awake while I was at university. <laughs> um, and um, for a long time, I didn't think of it as a differentiated beverage. I just, I just thought of it as a drink to, to um, stimulate me. Yep. Um, and then when I was living in London, um, um, after my degree, um, I was working in marketing, so a completely unrelated field, but we used to go to the Borough Market and buy our coffee from this incredible coffee shop called Monmouth Coffee. Right. And um, we'd buy beans for home and we'd have coffee there. And um, when I was talking to the staff about what coffee I should buy to, to, to grind in my plunger at home, um, they started to talk about different origins um, and asked me what I liked in my coffee. And they said, do you want something that's really fruity and bright and acidic or would you prefer something that's rounded and full-bodied? And I just looked at them blankly and said, I've got no idea. Um, and they made me some samples of the coffee. I tasted them. And um, that was the fo- first kind of moment that I started to appreciate that, that coffee could taste very, very different. Mm. Um, and I got quite intrigued at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I then came back to Australia on a holiday and dad was very excited um, about Sonali, which had opened up at the time it was opened by, um, owned by Mark Dundon. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just started to roast his own coffee on the premises. 
and um, Dad had been having lots of conversations about um, the roasting process um, and through conversations with Mark had learned that in Australia at the time, despite us having an incredible coffee culture that was well established um, in Melbourne, getting green coffee, so the raw coffee yep. before it's been roasted, mm -hmm. um, that had traceability, um, that was high quality, um, where someone could tell you what the variety was, who grew it, um, when it was harvested, all of that information that just, there wasn't, that didn't exist in Australia at the time. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, recognised, I guess, at that time that there was a big gap in the market. Um, so went back to the UK, um, approached Monmouth, quit my job, approached Monmouth and said, wow. I really want to work for you and I want to start to learn about coffee. Um, and they very generously took me in um, as a as a um, volunteer employee and um, I worked in the roastery, um, I worked um, in the shops and started to learn about coffee. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I started a conversation with a coffee importer based in the UK that Monmouth sourced through at the time called Macanta right. and, um, and started to talk to them about um, sourcing coffee and, and potentially bringing it into Australia. So while I was... Um, working at Monmouth, we bought our first pallet of coffee um, back to Melbourne. Wow. Um, we, um, Dad had the background in importing, so he'll help me with all the paperwork. Um, Mark was really excited to try the coffee, and we said, look, if you love it, you can have it. If you don't, we don't even know if it's going to clear customs. We looked at all the paperwork, and it was really complex and tricky. Mm -hmm. So we just kind of just um, took a bit of a risk and just tried to bring a, a single pallet of coffee in. Wow. Um, and it landed. Mark loved it. Um, and, and so from there, um, the seed was born for Melbourne coffee merchants, which mm -hmm. is, um, the other business that, that I run. So, um, today Melbourne coffee merchants is a green bean importer. We supply coffee roasters all around Australia, mm -hmm. um, including market lane. Mm -hmm. And, um, we now work directly with producers, um, and, and build relationships with them and bring their coffees into Australia. Wow. Um, <laughs> So that, so that was, um, so I stayed at Monmouth um, for about, um, it wasn't that long, it was maybe four four or five months, um, right. basically until my money ran out at London and <laughs> no money, it's really tough. So, um, but I met, I was really lucky to meet Jason, um, who is now one of the owners of Market Lane mm -hmm. um, while I was there. And then I came back to Australia, um, set up MCM. I was very lucky um, with the timing of our entry um, into the market here. Um, I think if I did what I did, um, now I'd be eaten alive because my knowledge was obviously still very small and I had yeah. a very steep learning curve ahead of me. Um, but the industry here was also within the specialty, um, coffee scene was also in its infancy and people were really curious, really engaged yeah. and wanting to learn how to cup coffee and, um, how to, um, how to taste the different things and um, appreciate where the coffee was coming from. So we did a lot of public cuppings. There was a lot of industry events and um, it was a really fun time. Yeah. So I did that for about a year and it was growing organically. We had some customers in Sydney that came on board very early on um, and the business was going well, but I felt in a B2B context, there was only so much that I could control and influence. And I found um, that I, I wanted to um, push the industry more um, and, and, and raise the bar of the industry and, and tell the stories of these incredible people that were producing this coffee and yeah. educate the end consumer. Um, so 
Jason um, returned back to Australia from the UK and I'd seen a site at um, Pran Market mm-hmm. that felt um, like it was the right place to start a coffee shop. Um, Monmouth was also part of a market and it felt right because there was a consumer base that really cared about quality, about mm-hmm. provenance. Um, that was in a retail and shopping frame of mind when they were going in and it felt like with that kind of audience we'd be able to engage people, maybe get them to taste different um, beans, encourage them to buy a coffee for home, um, more so than on, say, like a retail strip where you're Mm -hmm. you're just wanting to catch up with a coffee um, with a friend. Um, So, uh, yeah, I pitched my dream cafe slash roastery to Jason and said this is, if I had a coffee roastery and and coffee shop, this is what I would, this is what I wanted to represent Yep. Um, and this is what I'd wanted to do. And his values were totally aligned with mine. His vision was the same. And I think he'd thought about it a lot as well. Mm-hmm. And so we decided to open Market Lane. So I think that was um, about a year later after setting up um, MCM. So in 2000, November 2009, we opened our doors mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And it was very different at the time um, to what Melbourne was used to. So um, we didn't have... We didn't have tea. We didn't have skinny milk, which at the mm. time was a, a coup. Every coffee shop offered skinny milk and, and that's definitely changed a lot over the last 10 years. But yep. at the time to not offer, have, have, you know, a skinny latte available, um, we, we put a lot of um, thought into the milk that we used in our drinks and started talking to Simon Schultz, who at the time um, I think was just supplying milk at farmer's markets but didn't have like a big commercial um, milk um, dairy going at the time, but yep. had beautiful organic unhomogenized milk. So mm-hmm. talked to him and he agreed to supply us. Um, we didn't do food. So we had some, a, a few pastries, but the, but the offering was very much focused on serving um, coffee with a very limited menu. We also um, offered filter coffee, which at the time was also very new. Um, mm-hmm. And so very consciously um, made sure that the pour over coffee station was um, central. It was somewhere that people could come up and talk to baristas while they were brewing mm-hmm. and engage. And um, we also had big buckets of beans um, where we would scoop to order. And the idea was that we wanted someone to engage with a staff member before purchasing some coffee mm-hmm. and that that would allow for a dialogue to happen and engagement. Um and we had cuppings every day. So we had um, a cupping as a coffee tasting. Mm-hmm. So we ran hour-long cuppings for free every day. And um, that was an amazing way to engage people in the industry and consumers and, and educate them. Yep. And, um, yeah, that's that was kind of the first market lane. Wow. Um, I've got so many questions. Um, my first question I've always been interested to know is why did you decide to call it market lane? Oh, um, because... <laughs> It's not, not the best name in the world, but um, it's because the shop was located on Market Lane in Paran. Right, okay. So the, the lane that runs alongside the shop. Yes. Um, and alongside the market is called Market Lane. Right, okay. That makes sense. Because I, I guess I, I wondered because um, obviously most of your stores are near a market, right? Like South Melbourne Market obviously got two locations in Queen Vic. Um, but then when I worked for – so I used to work for Baker de Carico, right? And – and obviously, they've got, you've got a little shop right next to Baker de Carico and Carlton, which makes 
no sense to the market lane kind of concept because it's not it's not near a market. Um, but um, but yeah, I've always always been curious as to that. Um, how did you? Why did you? Why did you decide to do those things that you just said before? As in not as in not have anything other than you know full fat milk. Um, not really push to very much of a food offering. Like was it was it a big decision for you guys to just focus on the coffee? making that the sole really essence of the brand and, and making sure you weren't just diluting the brand, I suppose, in one way? Yeah. It was a, it, it felt scary at mm. the time and we didn't know how people would respond to it, um, but it was a very conscious decision based on um, one, I guess, our commitment to quality and so wanting to be focused on doing one thing and doing it really well mm-hmm. and not serving a beverage that we felt um, was compromised where we weren't showcasing the coffee in the best possible light. So um, an example of that would be that um, early on we actually did serve soy milk in our shops um, right. and we uh, sat down after a year and reflected on what we weren't proud of and our soy milk drinks were terrible. They were curdled. Our coffee was roasted too lightly and we weren't um, happy with them. So we actually withdrew soy milk from the menu. But but we started with the value of wanting to um, wanting to make sure that we're serving the, the best possible beverage we could to, to our customers. Mm. It also doing something different um, sparked conversations that were really powerful. So... Mm not having um, skinny milk meant that we could say we, we don't have skinny milk, but we've got this amazing milk from Tim Boone. It's organic. It's unhomogenized. Let us tell you about the farmer. Here's a postcard about what Simon's doing down there yeah. and engaging people in that conversation so that they can understand why we've made those decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we just, we really wanted to be specialists. I think if we'd got caught up in trying to do food, trying to do poached eggs, um, trying to do tea, um, we we wouldn't be able to be as good as we are at coffee. And if we did do those things, I'd want to make sure that they were at the standard of the coffee and we just didn't have the capacity to be good at all of those things. So we just wanted to nail the coffee <laughs> part of it. <laughs> has has yeah. it been a challenge to sort of keep, um, uh, to keep with the full fat um, milk as being the driver uh, for coffee? I've noticed recently, you know, um, you started to do oat milk, yes. um, which which I thought was like mind blowing because you know when I when I sort of first came to Melbourne, as I said at the start of the podcast, and I would go to the the old Queen Vic site, which was on I can't remember that street name now, but Mary Street, yes, yeah. right, and that used to be amazing. I used to be able to sit in the window and like just watch like like extraordinary people make coffee and people come in and the energy and that kind of stuff. It really it really got me focused on the energy of cafes in Melbourne. Mm. And I and I'd sit there and I'd and I'd drink my long macchiato and then and then I'd see these people come in like obviously it was a very busy store and people would say oh can I have a you know can I have a flat white skinny milk and your staff would reassuringly go light we don't do that but you know you'd lose a lot of customers as well who would say oh no we want to do that or uh, what almond milk or or whatever mm. was it was it hard because I imagine the brand would be getting pushback from nice meaning customers who who don't you know, who maybe don't want um, the full fat sort of milk yeah, part of the brand. Was, was that hard to sort of keep, keep it that? Was, it, it required a lot of training for staff and it was, um, 
I think earlier on it was probably more um, exhausting and, and intense because we were having to educate people about what our offering was. Yes. Over time, I think people knew what it was, so that um, that meant that we were having to have those conversations less. Mm-hmm. It probably um, has informed decisions around where we open up and making sure that we ha- we do have a habitual customer that is that is coming in to to buy coffee. Um, but there were a lot of people who also said, oh, great, I'll just have a full full cream milk and, mm-hmm. and very um, happily would accept an alternative or would have a filter coffee. We converted a lot of people to filter coffee yeah. conversations, which yeah. was really exciting. Um, and then we decided to offer oat milk at the start of this year because we, one, felt like we could make a really nice beverage with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and secondly, um, because it's a, it's a sustainable product and it's sustainably produced. Minor Figures, who we're working with, have just um, opened up a production um, facility um, in Victoria, and so it felt like there was there was a there was we couldn't stand in front of a consumer and say there are no alternatives that yep. are going to taste delicious um, and that have good traceability and are sustainable. There is there is those alternatives now, and I think it just again shows how much the industry has moved on in the last decade. Yes, um, changed. Yeah. When- so. We've had um a couple of guests on the podcast like Matt Lane from Mamacita and 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 Jackie as I said from Earl, um and I hear them sort of starting their business roughly at the same time that Market Lane was started right this two thousand eight two thousand nine two thousand ten I think to Andrew McConnell sort of starting Cumulus around that time as well like these industry heavyweights of the Melbourne hospitality scene, um doing incredible things. Do you do you often think back at that time and think? You were in a you were in a pocket of time that was that was really revolutionising what the Melbourne dining, what the Melbourne coffee um, cafe industry was like. Absolutely, and I don't think any of us um, at the time realised how how much it would progress and and how much the industry would change. Um, yes. and in many ways, it has changed um, in a in a really positive way. Mm. Um, there's still a lot of work to be done in coffee around educating people around um, making sure that they're buying coffee that has been sustainably sourced and prices, fair prices have been paid to producers. Yep. Um, but, um, but it has changed radically and there's a lot more focus now on transparency. When you, when you went into a cafe um, 10 years ago, they wouldn't tell you what was in their blend. It was it was kind of it was a prided secret of we have this blend and it's it's uh, brand X and we're not going to tell you what it um, it is because it's it's you know it's something that's secret and we can't tell you. Yeah. But actually blowing that up and going no we're going to tell you exactly what it is in it and we're going to change it and um, it's not always going to taste the same because we're going to buy ingredients that are in season and tasting their best and celebrating that seasonality and and celebrating the stories of the producers is something that has definitely um, started to happen. And um, now when you walk into most cafes in Melbourne, um, you will be able to be told exactly what's in your coffee um, and um, also be offered filter coffee as well. And, mm. and that's a really positive change. Is it, yeah. is, it, is it hard to educate the team on how that does change, like seasonality does change your coffee? And obviously <laughs> because you need to educate the consumer, right? Like I notice if I... If I go to Market Lane and have a single origin like in January, it's going to taste different to what it does now in like September. And and I've learnt to to know that's actually a really positive thing and I actually have learnt to enjoy that change and that movement uh, and the flavour profile in the coffee. Like it, is, it, is it a challenge 
to train the team and therefore train consumers, your customers, in order to know that is a positive thing and that is a difference with Market Lane? Um, it, 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 again, I guess at the start, having a blend that was seasonal um, and that would change was something that we were very conscious. We had to um, carefully train the staff to talk about. Mm. What we've found is that um, because when we change the blend, um, the staff are really excited about that change. Um, they're then transferring that excitement to the customer. So if they, and they might say, hey, we've got a new seasonal when they're celebrating it, they're talking about it um, and they're talking about what it tastes like. And so it starts that dialogue. And, and, and so it, yeah, it hasn't, it hasn't really been too challenging. That's good. Um, and I guess we're always just trying to make things that taste delicious. So um, <laughs> definitely do. That, that's kind of the, the primary motivation. So um, if we did have something that was the same all year round, it would start to taste really woody and baggy and it wouldn't taste delicious. And so with, with training with the staff, we'll show them a coffee that is aged and um, and showing that comparison of a coffee that, that's still in its prime versus one that's aged is they're, they're worlds apart. So yeah. Um, that, that becomes a very easy training exercise. Yeah. I even, I'm, I'm thinking back to my time at um, Baker de Carico and thinking at summertime, obviously a lot of people probably drink slightly less coffee because it is warmer and stuff like that. And then being put onto, um, I think you guys were calling it, it's probably called a spritz, but basically uh, a coffee shot and then tonic water um, over ice and stuff like that over summertime. And it changed my life um, over summertime. It was so good. Um, um I want to talk about the sustainability a bit more if I can. Like, obviously, it, 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 it's normalised now, which is a fantastic thing as we talk in 2021. But started, you know, started this in, uh, you know, 2008, 2009, Fleur. Yep. Why, why did you want to go down that road? Was it the fact that that's what you're learning in the UK? You could see that was actually going to be a movement moving through and that you know, fair trade coffee and sustainably sourced coffee was going to be just the norm as we sort of sit here 10, 10 or 12 years on? So I think when we started Market Lane, we definitely wanted to ignite um, positive change in the industry, change the way people thought about coffee and how they appreciated it. Um, the coffee for a long time has been traded as a commodity. So um, that means the price that is paid for commercial grade coffee is dictated by the stock market, which is very volatile. Yep. Um, there's a lot of speculation. And um, unfortunately, um, there are times where the, the price for coffee dips below the cost of production. And farmers um, live very precarious lives um, that, and the price that they're paid for their coffee is dictated by this by this price. This, it's called the C price for coffee. Mm-hmm. And the way that we approach buying coffee and um, the way we approach relationships with producers is um, we we seek to pay a premium for, for the coffee that we're purchasing and we, we, we seek to have really long-term relationships with the producers and, um, and then share their stories and build their brands here in Australia. So um, we have very straightforward discussions around pricing. It's how much do you want for your coffee? Um, <laughs> that is usually dictated by the cost of their production and mm-hmm. the quality of the coffee. Yep. Um, and then here in Australia, with the way that we um, present the coffee, we've we've really always tried to focus on making the producer the hero. So it's not about Market Lane Coffee being the prominent thing on our bags, for example. The name of the farm is the thing that is that is most prominent. Yes. And, and what our hope has always been is that 
in the same way you would go into a wine shop to purchase um, wine, you'd look at the variety um, you, and then you would probably look for a producer that you really trust. We want people to build a relationship and a connection to that farm or that producer. So if they walk in and they see Santa Clara on our shelves, we've been working with that farm for 10 years. Over time, they'll start to recognise it. Yeah. They will have tasted it um, and they'll be hopefully excited when it when it's back on the shelves. And that for us is when those moments happen and when a customer walks into our space and sees a coffee that they recognise and that they connect with, that's when we know we've done our job well um, in in promoting and, and sharing that coffee mm-hmm. with our coffee community. So I think I think our, our broader mission has been to try and um, to educate the consumer and build a market for specialty coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's because the more demand there is for specialty coffee, in theory, the better off the producer will be because higher prices will be paid to the producer that have nothing to do with what's going on in the sea price um, and that are sustainable and long-term. So mm-hmm. that's definitely what we've been advocating for at, a, at an industry level. Interesting. Is it... What what is the last sort of eighteen months? As I imagine, there must be extreme challenges in the fact that you can't engage with your producers that you normally would because of travel restrictions and that kind of stuff. Like, how have you how have you guys handled that? Because you you know you're not you're not just a cafe group. Yeah, you're supplying the product as well. Like, so how have you handled the last eighteen months of supply? Um. It's actually gone surprisingly well. Um, normally we would be on the ground mm. in all of the um, countries that we're buying from, cupping coffees, tasting them, and then selecting what we want and bringing them back. And we do a lot of um, information gathering at that time um, as well. And there's definitely things that you can't do over Zoom, but Zoom has definitely been our saviour. Mm-hmm. I think because with a lot of um, the producers we're working with, they are relationships that have spanned eight, ten years. There's a very um, deep level of trust and a very deep relationship with them. So um, in some cases, we're actually communicating more with the producers throughout the year rather than at the, the intense kind of harvest and, and buying period. Yes. Um We've also been able to taste the coffees as a team. So normally it would be one or two of us that would be going to purchase the coffee, um, whereas now the entire extended team can join us while we're purchasing coffees and picking what we want to feature on the menu. So that's been a really um, special process to go through and and it's it's definitely, um, yeah, something that I really valued during this time. I actually think when we open up again, we might rethink the way we buy coffee um, generally um um i think we'll we'll probably visit when they're harvesting the coffee not when the coffee's ready for export right um during that period and then and then probably still continue to buy with samples being sent to australia yeah um it's a really intense period for producers um to try and be finishing harvesting their coffee and selling it at the same time Mm. and it can be a, a really big revolving door and put a lot of pressure on on them so i think in some cases it's kind of slowed things down um I've been really grateful that we've had those long-standing relationships because it hasn't felt hard transitioning to to doing it online. Yes. But God, when those borders open, I'm also <laughs> going to be on the first plane out of here to, to visit them. I really, like, we really miss them. They're they're yeah, I bet. um they're like family to us, and so um, not visiting. Um, yeah, it's we really miss that. Yeah. I want to talk about relationships a bit, if I can, because the reason we got connected was 
a former guest on the on the podcast, good friend of the podcast, uh, Daniel Lebon from Colab Pantry, who was on the podcast with Natasha a couple of months back, connected us, and and she before we even got connected, flew like she was so proud of talking about her time at Market Lane, and you know I'm not I'm not embellishing on when I say this, but I've never had a bad experience at Market Lane when I've gone in, and and every single time, every single staff member is like on point, they care, they all have different personalities, but. It's a common consensus of why they come to work and why they produce amazing quality product every single cup, every single time. How how do you keep that going? How have you kept that that sustainable as well the mm-hmm. last 10 years and having such a common thread of amazing quality, talented people who just believe in what you guys stand for? Um, thank you. <laughs> Very kind words. Um it's, it's something that we're constantly working on and investing in. Mm. Um, Jenny, who's one of the other owners of Market Lane, is very focused on, on culture and making sure that we're nurturing a really positive and supportive culture yep. um, within the team. Um, we put a lot of effort into the hiring process and making sure that we're hiring people that... Um, uh, hospitality focused and service focused and um, are driven by that. Yes. Um, and um, we invest quite a lot in training. It's obviously been really tough over the last mm. 18 months to, to provide really good training to, to our team. Um, but we do invest a lot in onboarding an employee and then, and then providing opportunities for them to learn and engage. Um, we, um, use a lot of different mediums to communicate with them um, throughout their employment. So um, through podcasts, through newsletters and through face-to-face training sessions, through cuppings. Um, But yeah, it's definitely one of the things that I feel um, the most um, grateful for is the team of people that we have um, and that have, have, have been with us on our journey over this decade. We've worked with some absolutely incredible people and, and their relationships that, um, never end. So when people walk out the doors of Market Lane, um, many of those those friendships and relationships um, continue. We we really try and um, understand what motivates our staff outside of work as well, mm. or what their aspirations are beyond Market Lane. Um, we've we've got quite a few members that have gone on to open up their own um, coffee shops and, and businesses, and we've run um, some small business workshops um, for those people that have that. Um, entrepreneurial spirit um and we really try and support them when they leave in on that journey um yeah i guess we we really care um and we really care about our team we care about their well-being um and um work is such a big part of you know your 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 week and so you want that place to be somewhere where you do feel really safe you feel supported you're working with great people you're serving a product that you really believe in um and i think a lot of people who approach market lane recognize that the values of the business align with theirs and and so that that makes that part easy yeah no it's definitely always been obvious to me yeah <laughs> that's awesome uh, um moving forward like my last question is like you know you've had everyone's had a challenging you know couple of years right um what what are you looking forward to for the growth of the business and and for the growth of you know even M- mcm like what are you guys wanting to do next? You seem to be such at a, uh, at a nice point from a person looking outside the brand. It seems to be a nice little point at the moment. Like what are you looking forward to next? Yeah, well, we um, at the start of um, 
last year we, we moved into a new roastery in Brunswick East. Yep. So we moved out of Paran Market. Was, our shop's still there, but the roastery is no longer there. Mm-hmm. And that's given us a lot more space um, as a team to um, to work and um, have dedicated um, space to do things, which has been really good. We were very much on top of each other in Paran. <laughs> um, and that's been a really nice um, um, change within the business. Um, I think all of our growth has been quite organic um, over the last 10 years. We've, we've, um, the sites that we've taken on, um, we've taken on because we're really excited to connect with a community or a neighbourhood mm-hmm. um, and the, the shell of a shop might feel really exciting in, in that particular place and we've jumped at it. So Faraday Street in Carlton would be a perfect example of that, of yeah. being sort of a fantastic baker and, and a, an amazing, vibrant community mm. in Carlton. Um, so um, those opportunities um, have definitely just um, happened very organically and slowly without us aggressively wanting to say, we want to open six shops and, and yep. be, you know, <laughs> in this place in 10 years' time. Yeah, I think at the moment um, we're definitely trying to um, just focus on doing things better as a business and and be as responsible as we can be as a business. Yes. Um I feel like maybe being in this new head office, we've got a bit more time and space to kind of sit back and look at the bigger picture and that there's, um, yeah, there's definitely time to, to look at what we're doing and what we could do better. So we're, we're in the process of, we've submitted a B Corp application, which nice. we hope will come through towards the end of this year. Yep. Become carbon neutral, which has been a, a huge project, but hopefully that will also happen this year. Mm-hmm. Um and then, like with our staff, um, just looking at ways to support them. Um, we just launched a mental health policy for them to be able to have a fund to dip into if they need the support with mental health services. Wow. Um, so it's just, I guess, looking from a, a social and environmental point of view, what can we do better? And then, and then also with the team, how can we um, support them, especially? Um, especially after the, the couple of years we've just had, how can we continue to nurture and engage um, when people are, you know, it, it's really, really hard. It's really moment. hard. So, mm. um, how do we keep them motivated? How do we keep them engaged? How do we make sure that they're going okay? Mm. Um, so that that definitely is the focus at the moment um, is, yeah, just trying to do it all a bit better. <laughs> well, I think you'd... I think you're well in before you said all that I think you're doing it fantastically so I'm amazed that you're doing even more um it's obviously that you know you'll get the B Corp um sign off um um exciting to see that certification coming through different brands as well um to be showcasing how brands are, brands are doing such great work um like yours um well thanks for joining me today what what's the best way that people can connect with Market Lane and and know all about what you guys do in here in Melbourne um, if you're local, please come and see us in the shops. We'd love to see you. Um, we also have a website, which is brand new. It launched last week. Sweet. Um, and yeah, jump on there. Cool. Uh, as always in the show notes of this podcast, Fleur Stud, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Principle of Hospitality. I hope you really enjoyed this one. As always, please comment, like, and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. We're making this content with the industry in mind, so we'd really appreciate you sharing it along. 
Thanks as well to our major supporter, the largest family-owned and operated hospitality supplier in Australia, Chef's Hat, where the industry shops. And if you don't know us at Post, Sash, my co-founder from Principal Design, has one of the best design agencies in Australia. So if you're looking for anything around strategy, branding, digital design, wayfinding, and graphic design, then you can find him at principaldesign.com.au and myself at Open Pantry Consulting for anything to do with systems and processes to make your business run even more smoothly. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks to Chef's Hat for supporting us as always. And until next time, stay safe.